0: Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of the Event Tech Talk Show, a new live broadcast brought to you by myself and the team at Event Tech Live. For those that don't know or haven't seen the news, the next Event Tech Live will take place on June 8th and 9th with a focus on the North America market um, and the events industry. So for anybody interested in finding out more about that event, visit eventtechlive.com. If you missed last week's episode, which was episode one, where we discussed the event technology predictions of the industry uh, with Wilcoin and Brent Kruger, you can watch that episode now um, on demand on the Event Tech Live YouTube channel. And you can also listen to the audio version on all the major podcasting networks, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Just search the Event Tech Talk Show and we'll pop up. A quick thank you to our sponsor, EventsCase, who are Europe's largest provider. event management software. If you're in the market for event technology or a virtual event platform, go check them out at eventscase.com. Today's guest is Tim Brew, CEO and co-founder of Grip. And on today's topic, well, actually today we're going to be discussing a number of topics. Um, First and foremost is the future of the hybrid event format is this concurrent or sequential? And this is a term that Tim actually came up with and was the first time I've heard it, um, looking at events in a sequential format. We'll also be delving deeper into Tim's opinion that smaller event tech companies have been able to move fast and innovate, be more nimble in their space, while traditional all-in-one platforms had more of a challenge gaining traction with their solution. We'll also look at how trade show and conference organizers have become omnichannel um, through lockdown, running a range of event types and concepts. And finally, we'll look at engagement and why that's everything, whether you're steering a show as a product or as a means to promote a product, and despite the offers differences in approach. Please feel free to interact with myself and Tim, ask questions in the comments, and I'll bring those on screen. Um, any questions that we don't get a chance to answer, we'll follow up post show on Twitter using the hashtag EventTechTalks. So without further ado, Tim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey Adam, how are you doing?
0: I'm very well, mate. So I didn't tell everybody what GRIP does. Um, I'm assuming that lots of people in the events industry now know what GRIP does. But in your own words, just the highlight reel, what is is GRIP in, in your eyes?
1: Grip is a market engagement platform that enables um, event organizers uh, to move the markets they operate in uh, forward faster. So we, we really provide like an engagement platform um, where you can hold the entire uh, event experience, whether that is for a, lo- a virtual, hybrid, or in-person event.
0: And what's it like being a supplier of those type of technologies and solutions in the current climate?
1: Well, so I, th- I think actually it's a little bit of a dichotomy, to be honest. Like, so on the one hand, as a company, of course, you you we've experienced tremendous growth, like more than I could ever have anticipated as a, as a founder. Uh, if I look like about a year ago now, yeah. Um, so I feel very fortunate and and lucky that we that we had this opportunity to grow as a company. But simultaneously, I f- I find it tricky because you see a lot of events organized, of course, that. Um, have had to let people go they've had to like restructure that are are actually struggling so you know like uh, we're successful when our clients are successful is is typically the way that I've looked at our business Um, and so for for 2021 really my goal is you know as opposed to maybe thinking about how how we can have more employees which of course we'll, we'll naturally have as we continue to grow it's actually how can we keep organizers to keep more people employed by helping them deliver more better virtual hybrid live events. I think that's really what, where I'm looking towards for 2021. Yeah,
0: it's, it's been an interesting time, hasn't it? And, you know, I know virtual events really divide people, actually, both from an organizer perspective, and even from an attendee perspective, exhibitor perspective. Some people like them, some people not so much. And I guess for me, platforms like you have been that um, bridge that, that uh, the ability to still keep events and keep people connected in an event format, right? Bringing people together in a, in a moment in time. So, you know, fair play to you, because not only ever I, could I imagine that you've been helping all of your current customers and lots of new inbound people coming to your door saying, can you help us? But then to, as a CEO, to kind of like do all the back stuff as well of recruitment and infrastructure and keeping people kind of on track at- my mind kind of blows a little bit that that you while the events industry has somewhat been massively disrupted you as a you as a CEO must have been just wow I don't know I don't really know how to put it Nate, if I'm honest
1: yeah I mean I think uh, you know we're definitely uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that we have a really really strong team and to be honest like I, I don't think well I know I would not have been able to do it without them so I think the reason that that we were successful um is because we were able to have people that really stepped up in 2020 and really became leaders in their own fields and and were really able to to bring us the success that that, that was needed and you know i think uh it was it's insane that uh, in 2020 we had in some cases where we had you know events from 10 out of 20 of the largest trade show organizers in the world that were the key events they were organizing they were all happening on grip you know like we're carrying, uh, this sounds very dramatic, but you're you're carrying a big part of the industry. And of course, like we had Event Tech Live happening on Grip. Uh, Simultaneously, we had IMAX and uh, UFI also on Grip. So we had some huge industry events that were also happening on the platform. Uh, So yeah, it was definitely quite a bit of pressure, Um, but uh, I think we managed to go through it okay. Uh, So yeah, happy, happy where we are now and how we continue to grow.
0: So, just before we might kind of delve into these topics, that I think are really super interesting, especially around event format and what organisers are doing with revenue and, and all those kind of things. How do you see kind of the the next twelve months playing out? Are you are you betting on virtual? Are you you hedging your bets with physical coming back? Because I know you deal with events all around the world. So I guess you've got to have your eye on all markets at the same time, not just one particular region, like here in the UK. Like, how are you viewing the the next 12, 18 months as a a platform provider?
1: That's a very good question. So I actually, I look at it more... And of what? Wh- where will we be like on a much longer horizon, like five mm-hmm. to 10 years from now? And I try and actually look backwards of like, okay, what are the building blocks that make up that experience of where an organizer will want to be 10 years, five years from now? And then making sure that we're actually building the platform in a long-term sustainable way. So, of course, you're prioritizing kind of product development and and kind of where you focus on from a a marketing and sales perspective in that regards. And I think if I look at the very short term, I think that we're still quite focused on virtual. I think at least until the summer, virtual is going to be extremely important. Then if I look towards the fall, then, yes, hybrid is going to be more important. And, you know, we're already building product in the background. We're not talking about it that much yet. But it's really something that we're thinking through a lot of, like, what is our hybrid experience going to be? Um, but but for me, the short term is still virtual, especially also because I think even in the fall, if I, as I talk to organizers, a lot of them are still uh, quite hesitant, especially now, like the news that some of the strains of the virus are not covered by some of the vaccines. What that is going to mean is probably restricted international travel, which for a lot of our clients is very important for the shows that they organize. So that's definitely going to have an impact, I think, on the dynamic of a lot of these kind of hallmark shows that that we typically work with.
0: Well, that brings us nicely on to our my, my kind of first question for you. And, and really, I say question, but it's a term that we've first spoke about maybe a couple of months ago. Back it was just after Event Tech Live about your vision of how hybrid events might look back, might look like going forward. Because I guess some people will go back to maybe a purely physical play that will just work better for their niche or their industry, or maybe even the event format. But definitely hybrid is the future. And I think initially, especially last year, I was having lots of conversations with organisers and, and tech providers about like hybrid is the future. And my own experience of delivering a fully virtual event, to think about actually having to deliver a physical event at that exact same time w- was, was actually scary after the fact. And you first came up with, well, discussed with me this idea of, of sequentially organised hybrid events. So would you mind in your own words just kind of painting the picture of how you see that
1: yeah definitely yeah I mean it was just like you were talking to so many organizers and everybody was saying like hybrid is the future the future hybrid and it was kind of like well what do you mean the future hybrid because what is hybrid and it turns out that everybody had a different definition so I tried to uh, uh, humbly suggest two ways that we could try and structure that as an industry so you have a Concurrent hybrid experience, which is where the virtual event and the physical event are happening simultaneously, as you as you correctly mentioned, that is very resource intensive, uh, both for an organizer but also for the participants. Right? If you're an exhibitor, you now need staff that is attending both the virtual and the in-person event. While if you look at a sequential experience, the way that I see that is you could have well this week we could have a virtual event. Mm-hmm. Next week, we could have an in-person event. And the week after, we could have a virtual event again. Now, the, what that, that, that is sequential. What, what is sequential? Why is that interesting? Now, the reason it's interesting is because you could use the virtual events leading up to the physical one as a sort of pre-qualification step. You could really tease, for example, individual uh, exhibitors. You could, let's say, you have five topics in an event. You could have each week a topic. You're going to have five weeks leading up to it. And then you could pick a great sponsor and, and sponsor a one-day event around that. And you could enable people to network and qualify the opportunities that they have uh, to set up those initial short-form meetings to then have a better return on time once they have the actual physical event. And maybe people won't even go there, right? It might actually be that you know they, they just participate uh, virtually in the current circumstances. And the same thing is then again, if you do a virtual event after the physical one, the opportunity is again, is is use it as a kind of follow-up step. Like I'm sure that, you know, whenever I go to Event Tech Live or any other event, one of the key things you say is like, oh yeah, let's catch up next week and you to continue the conversation. Now, what if an organizer could provide that moment where everybody's gonna be online, where there is again, an experience where everybody's participating to to allow people to connect, right? And and then that's relevant for both the people that attended the physical event, but of course also for people that are purely connecting virtually, Uh, that's also a great opportunity again. So yeah, that's where the sequential idea kind of came from.
0: So my understanding then, pre-event online or pre-physical, shall we say, an element of content engagement interaction for the audience that are interested in that physical event, maybe coming along to that physical event, but also maybe they're not coming along to that physical event. So almost like show marketing, event marketing for for the actual physical event then you have the physical event take place. Do you, you, on that point, would you see an element of online still taking place or in your head, is it the physical just takes place as the physical? There's not an online stream or content going on at the same time. How do you see that middle chunk taking place?
1: The honest answer is, I think that, uh, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, I, I think that, uh, it depends on the event. I think some organizers will want to do that because they will want people to be able to participate virtually, even if it's just to watch the live stream um, and then just you know putting it into grip and just being able to to make sure that the people that aren't there can at least see the live stream. But then again, like I think that you're also, they might do that with, let's say, a main stage. But mm-hmm. what I would do instead, to, uh, if I was an organizer, is actually record your content and then have a sort of kind of news anchor thing where you can play afterwards at, at a virtual day, you you play the recorded content, and then you switch to a live virtual Q&A with the speaker, right? And so if you are selling that as a sponsorship opportunity, you're now selling a, a session pre-event, a live session, and a session post-event, which is a recorded a recording of your live one with a and a after it. I mean, the amount of content that you're producing as an organizer, the amount of opportunity for delivering value to to attendees and exhibitors is just, just know, tripled. So I think that's that's kind of the way that I would look at it.
0: I really like the post-show bit. I must admit, I think you know, thinking about something like Event Tech Live or many events that I've been to, you know, the interaction or the engagement with the exhibitor and the attendee takes place obviously at that event, and then the continuation of that conversation, the, those business activities go off, don't they? They go off to LinkedIn or maybe you've still got a business card and you've you've got that in your pocket and you follow up on email or phone call and stuff so it goes back to what i would class as a more traditional means the the crm the marketing automation follow-up you know it goes off and goes somewhere else isn't it but i really like the idea of you or the event organizer in combination with grip or another platform being able to provide that that system in which that that follow-up takes place because I think there's some crazy stat isn't there that like 60% of trade show leads still don't get followed up effectively I'm going to say effectively because I think to say they don't get followed up at all is probably the wrong way to look at that stat but there is some crazy stat out there like that
1: I didn't know that but that's that's a great stat to support this this message right like and but that's also why I think this is such a great opportunity for organized, like I'm really excited about the f- future of, of events organizing because you're, you're organizing a community, you're organizing a market, you bring people together. And you can do that in so many more ways now to achieve that objective. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to mean that as opposed to an organizer providing a step in the sales funnel, they can provide the entire sales funnel. Like they can provide the pre-qualification call, the in-person discovery meeting and the virtual meeting in which the final details are hashed out. All within one show cycle how much more valuable is that to the exhibitors the attendees the people that you work with rather than saying you can have the in-person meeting but you're going to have to figure out all the others other other things yourself so i think that's yeah quite interesting
0: so let me let me delve a little bit in detail in there because A little bit more in detail there, because you mentioned already that this sequential format might have some revenue opportunities around it. And and we all know as organisers in the events industry, revenue is king right now. We're all trying to figure out where the value is, how to offer it, what the package looks like, and obviously the the customer who wants to buy into that. Do you see this as an integral extension or part of the way that organisers can now drive revenue? Does it even lead on to, um, you may not be able to answer this, but onto the idea that actually we're creating a 365-day marketplace and maybe even the organisers, rather than having high upfront costs, can actually be more of a partnership with the exhibitor and sponsor and take a revenue share because there's a, the ability to track that conversation and that relationship all the way through to the, to the ultimate, to, to a contract being signed or an order being placed.
1: That's interesting. I mean, there's so many kind of questions and ideas in that, but so I think, first of all, organizers can, for me, there's kind of three ways that you capture value. Mm -hmm. There is access, exposure and contact. So access is, you know, charging for people to get in the door and for, uh, uh, that can be both on the visitor side as well as on the exhibitor side. Then you have uh, exposure, which is really, hey, buy this, you know, thing and you'll have your logo shown in the bottom right corner of a podcast and that's exposure right and then exposure can be done in different ways um and then you have contact and that's really the the kind of the thing that that google and facebook of course introduces it rather than paying for getting your advertisement on the page you pay for the for the click for the lead for for the actual interaction basically and i think that that third part is is where the the real innovation lies i think you need to do the first two parts well, and I think that there is a lot of opportunity within those sections as well. We've seen, especially in exposure, we're starting to see great data as like, you know, purchase this sponsorship opportunity and you'll see a 250% increase in leads from this event, for example. Like we're starting to have that kind of tracking so we can really kind of help the organizer to kind of monetize that effectively. But I think really in the contact part is where there is a lot of interesting stuff that you can do. We're seeing kind of hosted buyer events where organizers are selling packages of meetings, some are generating millions, literally millions from single events, single hosted buyer events. They are extremely profitable. And we're seeing so much great opportunity in virtual on that that I think that organize, why would you ever move that back to in-person to get your costs of hotels and all of these things or flying people out there? Virtual is easy to organize, more profitable, and has a great NPS and success rate. So I think that you know there are definitely segments where through contact uh, uh, access basically there is a lot of opportunity to bring a lot more revenue actually to organizers than someone may be realizing at the moment
0: I, I have to agree um you know i physical events still have a very good place and and i'll be honest with you having experienced them myself and also organized one At the moment, there are certain things that a physical event just can't replicate online. However, that being said, if you're in the world of you want to do deals, you want to do them efficiently, you want to find out information, you want to have meetings with supply chain, you want um, access to information at speed, then virtual events really tick all of those boxes for me. They, They are extremely efficient of people's time on both ends if they're set up in the right way it's the right audience connecting the right people. I think, you know, and access to information and content is there. Then from an organizer's perspective, I guess, no, actually from a publisher's perspective, for me, it's, it's a real light bulb moment of all the ways that we drive revenue on a digital publication, for example, and I see those transitions moving over, into the the events world with retargeting, you know, being the Amazon, the affiliate, the you know, it's just there's just so many ways that you're going to be able to slice these virtual events to turn a profit. And I think what's really interesting is the ability to have these events, these moments in time, continually throughout the year as part of your offering to your to your customers, specifically yeah. virtual events, and then still bringing those back together in a physical way. We've got a Facebook user here, doesn't, don't know who they are. So Facebook user, thank you very much for your comment, but literally agree with you all year round storefronts. seems to be a, a, a common theme that I'm hearing from pure play organizers that all of a sudden have gone, maybe we can be the shop window for our customers all year round. So do you, do you agree with that as well, Tim? Um,
1: I think that there is a value of like having a platform where people can have a profile, where people can easily contact the um, exhibitor or sponsor, or just the company, but it's not nearly enough. I think the event organizer lives in creating concurrent moments of connection. So even in a sequential event, event, is basically a series of concurrent moments, right? So so what that means is that there is value in making sure that people are all online at a specific moment in time that are interested in a certain subject. It creates permission, it creates a a, a psychological moment of people saying, hey, I'm here now, I'm here to connect, I want to speak, I want to discuss, I want to network. And that is very, very different than an asynchronous experience that you might have on a Google search or a LinkedIn page or all these other experiences that are completely asynchronous. So I think that's very important for organizers to understand, just putting up exhibitors and just open up and saying okay all year round you're gonna have a profile with us that is not enough and yeah. and and we've seen it time and time again but if you then use that for example we have an organizer in the U- US that has combined that with adding on a layer and saying actually you can have a product showcase and what they've done they've got a, a fire truck uh, show for firemen well there's a fireman show and there's a fire truck brand and what they've done is they've created videos of this uh, uh, fire truck, for example, to, uh, to uh, uh, put out a fire of a house, for example, uh, of course, a fake one. Um, and then they're interviewing these firetruck men afterwards. And just the engagement and the kind of the way that they are presenting this product now compared to previously just standing there in a trade show hall is so much more engaging. They got so much more success from it. And they've actually had a tremendous result as both an exhibitor and an organizer. And they've seen really good engagement around it. So I think, yes, you can be the storefront, you can have beautiful products with all the photos and everything like that, but you need to add an experience layer on top of it that creates a concurrent moment of connection if you really want to be successful.
0: I think, I think you're right, mate. It's really interesting telling that, giving your customers or your exhibitors the opportunity to tell the story, right? It's telling the story, showcasing how it, letting people see, breathe as much as possible online what that fire truck can do in real life really helps sell the product right doesn't it otherwise you just kind of like you say you're just looking at pictures of a of a fire truck online and you're kind of like well what can this really do um, exactly. we'll try and put in the show notes maybe if there's somewhere we can direct people to go and see those um if it's out there if it's available for people in the wider wider industry to kind of look at which brings me brings us on to nicely to your second point but before we do that we've got Miguel here. Miguel, hi Miguel. Thanks for having me on Cooking Up Virtual Events. For those that don't know, Miguel is a virtual event producer and an excellent one at that. He says he's enjoying the questions. So another term that you've come up with, all in one versus all in none. Now, this is going to create some enemies for you, mate, in the event tech world. I'm sure you're I'm sure you're fine with that though. In your, I guess it's the argument against something that does it all versus something that's very focused on one element of it and possibly doing it better because of that focus. Am I right in saying that that's your opinion? Feel free to expand on that.
1: So, I like we, we had this conversation where I said, you know, Cvent, and I have a tremendous respect for everything that they've achieved. They probably had more engineers at the start of a pandemic than, than probably all event technology companies combined.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: but due to like, I don't know the insights of event, but we're quite late with launching the virtual event solution. Um, and, you know, why is that? Why is the company that is the biggest struggling the most that's pushing out a new innovation, whereas other companies like, like us, there's plenty of others that were mm-hmm. able to do that much faster. And it's because of, you know, the inherent limitation of innovation within a large organization and within a monolithic platform. It's much faster to have to innovate when you have to look across so many different technological layers in order to actually achieve uh, results on that fast. So I think that we're gonna we're seeing that now as well, right? Like we're seeing that now as well. Where actually some companies are able to innovate much more effectively in a very narrow space. Like we're using Streamyard here. So Streamyard very focused. Okay, just streaming. We're not doing. Kind of the, the the kind of consumer side, the subscriber side. We're only fo- focusing on this publishing experience. Only thirteen people and being bought for how much was it? One hundred and twenty million or something?
0: I like I by, by,
1: by, incredible, right? Like so, that's a great example of a company being very focused on a specific experience and doing an incredible job at that. And I think that's for me is is way more interesting, right? We can just have a super powerful integration with Streamyard, Restream, and many of these other companies. While on the other hand, you know, focusing really on making that core where we believe uh, uh, our position is in the market on bringing people together, focus there and do that extremely well and make sure that your powerful integration with other players is way more valuable and way more modular for an organizer to think about than trying to say, oh, you need to purchase everything. You need to have this entire layer. Everything needs to come from us. It, it slows down innovation. It slows down you know, execution, in my opinion. And, and it just, you know, it just starts causing massive friction because we constantly have clients coming from all sorts of all-in-one platforms. are like, you know, it's good, but it doesn't do good networking. And and I'm just like, you know, they, they constantly still come to us because they believe that we can do it better than some of these all-in-one platforms, which is natural because we only do this. So naturally, we're always going to, uh, I, I hope so, always going to be better at this part um, because we can put all our resources in making that the very best and, you know, that's always going to be a huge differentiator, I think, for organisers.
0: I understand that point. But to play devil's advocate, yeah, what, yeah, about yeah, the orga- what about the organiser side? And I, I hear this from many organisers that, you know, pre-pandemic, they weren't necessarily too heavily into technology. Okay, they used websites. They use maybe the odd live streaming technology, but probably not because it was the AV company that took care of it and something like that. Like all of a sudden to think about having to, Choose a ticketing platform and have that work with grip so the experience is seamless. And um, maybe it's the post-event experience of that on-demand element because the event is coming to an end and stuff. Like, how do you see that playing out? Because that is a huge fear factor for many organisers that by choosing one thing to do one element really, really well, ultimately actually creates them a huge amount more work and headache because they're having to play the person in the middle to get all of these suppliers to talk to each other or make sure that the integrations work as they are told they work. And, you know, even us, we've had that experience ourselves of on paper, it all looks quite straightforward. And then you get into the nitty gritty of it and there are pain points. So, you know, in an organizer that's focused on 10, 15 events a year, that's just like a huge mountain of work and a fear factor that things are not going to get delivered on time. So what's your thoughts around that kind of opinion of actually all in one okay it might not do one specific thing perfectly but at least they've got everything in one ecosystem and they don't have to go through that pain
1: so i think it's it's definitely a valid point and i think that a lot of the integrations that have been done in the past between event technology companies are ad hoc Oh, there is an event. All right, let's do this integration. Whereas I think what you're now seeing in the background, what what this increase in resources doing for all these individual tech companies, is that the integrations are being taken to a completely new level. Like for example, uh, there is a small uh, UK-based company called Lineup Ninja that uh, 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 event tech uses as uh, or event technology uses as well. Um, and the really interesting thing on that is the quality of the interaction and the integration that we now have with that is so extremely powerful that we could just switch it on for any event. It would take no time. And that really changed the game. And we're starting to have that with quite a lot of registration companies as well. It's just a, it's a plug and play integration. It's just as like how you, how you do your, your WordPress plugins or your other integrations that you see in the enterprise ecosystem in other industries. I think that's where we're going to get to. And I think once we're there, there, there is no need for for all in one anymore.
0: And Tim's got a really interesting point to add to this. You know, will not using multiple tech solution make the data a mess to deal with post event? You know, this is something I hear time and time again, and and I think it's been a decade old problem. Is there's no, there seems to be no um, agreed upon data scheme across registration and other platforms that makes once you export all that or try and. Delve into that as an organizer, it's unified, right? Do you do you ever see a, a unified approach to data? That might be getting right into the nitty-gritty of it, but as a as a is that something you strive for? Um, and I guess to Tim's extra point, can you can you see it being joined together?
1: Um, so it's again a very good question. So I think the way that we that we look at this is What is data? Data most of the time comes from engagement. So that means that um, you try and make sure that engagement as much as possible happens in a unified experience, but it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that all the platforms have to be the same, right? Like for example, we embed and integrate with various solutions uh, within GRIP and we try to make sure that we can actually access the data from those systems to present them back in our own uh, analytics. So what we're starting to do is actually open up that, and, and, and actually showcase it on our platform. So we now got so-called advanced insight panels that give an organizer an incredible view of the leads that an exhibitor has and an exact funnel of how many viewed, interested, connected meeting leads and so forth. So really pulling all that data then together and, and we are presenting that already. Some organizers that are very big are also pulling this into their own data lakes so they actually have central systems where they pull all those different data sources together. Um, and then I think it's, it's really about maximizing the insights that you already have from the data that's available. We have more insights than we actually show at the moment and we should do way more to actually showcase that. And since we also have the registration data coming from all the registration partners that we work with, we've got an incredible data set already that we can work with. Um, and we already make that available to easily get it exported into different platforms. And then we just added the ability to add third-party trackers as well. So an organizer can put their own Google Analytics or Mixpanel or Hotjar on top of Grip to have all their analytics flowing into that just as they have it on their website. So again, it's all these little parts. Why would I build my own analytics platform if Google Analytics is great at that? Just integrate with that, you have it in there. So in that sense, I completely agree that data should not sit just in Grip, but therefore we should integrate and we should say, hey, use Google Analytics, it's great, just use that. We're going to provide you other insights within Grip and then you can export as well, but I think that's really the ecosystem I'm looking at building.
0: So taking that idea one step further, because I think that's really interesting, do you feel that we'll ever be in a place where you as Grip, other event technology platforms, because others are available, and also Exhibitors have many have their own tech stack in many a case, right? They're maybe using Google, their own Google Analytics, maybe they're using retargeting solutions, maybe they're HubSpot part. They've got a HubSpot s- solution, sorry, and and they're using that for marketing. Do you think we'll ever see a point in time where, as the organizer and the platform, we can allow? our exhibitors and sponsors to hook their own systems in. So there's much more transparency around actually the activity that it makes their job much easier post-event as well from a digital marketing aspect. But if they even, they're not that advanced, maybe some way of them having, I want to say a leaderboard, but probably leaderboard is a really bad example. But we know competition thrives to, to more action generally. So do you ever think that we'll get to a place where we can have a grip lead, exhibit a leaderboard of activity and follow up and all of those things that help kind of, well, as a company compare yourselves to your competitors, but also as the event organizer, let's be honest about it, have some tough conversations around activity levels and what people are expecting to get out of that um, activity compared to others within the event. Do you think we'll ever see those two elements? being able to hooked into that data play?
1: Yeah, so I think from a benchmarking point of view, so being able to see how you're doing as an exhibitor compared to other exhibitors within the same event or same industry, I can I can certainly see that happen. I think that we're not far away from that, to be very honest. And I think that's going to really help exhibitors understand how they're doing and what they could do better. Um, and it's also therefore going to help the organizer with that kind of data-driven story. I think that the challenge that maybe some of them had in 2020 many before that as well is, you know, you go to an in-person event and they had no way of proving the ROI that they have Mm. provided to the, to the exhibitor. So, you know, we, we work with a system called crowd connected with uh, BLE beacons and making sure that actually we can get more of that footfall data into our platform. And that's extremely powerful as well. So we can use that information to actually better understand that in a physical environment. But of course, in a, in a virtual environment, you always have that. An online event is always available. And so actually using that benchmarking data to present an accurate story to an exhibitor is extremely powerful. The second point of enabling the exhibitor to actually get their marketing technology stack to be extended into the event, for sure, I think that's naturally going to happen. Uh, The question is like the mechanics of it and and how do you actually do that in a kind of GDPR and compliant way? Um, I think that's going to be interesting, right? Because all of a sudden you will have, let's say you visit 200 exhibitor profiles within an event. You know, you now have 200 GDPR cookies that you would have to kind of agree to or something. I don't know. So there's a lot of kind of questions around that. I think that, uh, that kind of play into it. So maybe it's a premium offering if you want to have that as part of it. I don't know. Another um, way
0: for organizers to make money, uh, mate. You uh, just okay. said it there. <laughs> I mean, uh,
1: yeah. So, like, uh, but you already have companies like Feather and and you know, you mentioned one the other day in, in the UK as well. Job. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like that. That are kind of already playing in that space, and I think that's a natural, natural part where there is so much more possible. I think actually, what for in organizers, interesting in that sense, is does online events does it sit with the digital marketing team of an exhibitor or does it sit with the event marketing team of an exhibitor because the event marketing team is not going to be interested in retargeting and all those things they probably don't have exposure to it let's say it like that maybe they're interested in it once they understand the value but a digital marketing team is not necessarily the ones that organizers have been engaging with in the past but is now actually probably the more natural team for online events to actually tap into so i think that's an interesting question for organizers to be thinking about
0: I think that's a really interesting question for the, for the, anybody that's watching us. Post your ideas, your thoughts, your feelings in the comments as well. And we'll bring those on screen because I think it's just like any event, isn't it, Tim? You know, your makeup of exhibitors is, is different from one exhibitor to the next. Sometimes you'll have the CEO and the guy that runs the business. The next time you'll have on the next stand, sorry, you'll have the sales team and it's the hardcore sales team. that literally go into an event, pull all the leads out and walk away and go off to the next event or something like that. Others, it's led by the marketing team. Like you say, it's much more of a marketing activity. It's about outreach. It's about cultivating some brand exposure in front of a niche audience. And then kind of the follow-up goes more digitally to maybe a remote team that do outbound on calls and stuff. So it's, it's a really different play. My opinion is, I think, if I'm honest, at the moment it feels like, especially virtual events or the virtual element, the digital element of events, is much more of a digital marketing play with the ability to have face-to-face conversations for your sales team. So it might, I guess from my my point of perspective, the best approach would be to have a digital marketing team, lay all the groundwork, do all the outreach through the platform, set those face-to-face meetings up for or those virtual meetings for the sales team, let them close them and then take that back on after the event to do follow up. That that's the way that I see it at the moment. It might, it might change on to it might change on ta- uh, over time. And I guess that but that brings us on to kind of your third point that you've actually said we're no longer trade show organizers or conference organizers, we're now omnichannel organizers. So what's your thoughts behind that shift, shall we say?
1: Yeah, so it's it's omnitel or market organizer. I'm still not completely sure on either term. I think omnitel is more generally generally understood. Um, what I'm trying to say is that. An organizer listens to the market that they serve, and they try and figure out what is the way that I can help this industry advance and move forward and bring it mm-hmm. together. I can inspire them through a conference and content. I can uh, make sure that businesses meet each other by by actually you know uh, organizing a trade show or host a buyer event. Um, but what I see the brands that are doing really well um, are the ones that are taking a more holistic view that are saying, actually, we've got an entire calendar for the entire year. And that is a combination that tries to advance that market as a whole. And that means it's a combination of a physical trade show, uh, a virtual webinar, uh, a hosted buyer event, like all these different event types. Actually, I think that organizers will start doing all of them with a more focused approach on specific markets. So what I'm saying, we previously previously... Uh, uh, an organi- uh, organizer might say, actually, I do all industries, but I only organize trade shows in all of them. I think actually what we're going to see is instead organizers might say, I only do a key set of industries, but mm-hmm. I do all event types within that industry. So that's, I think, going to be the change in, in, in focus in that sense. They're going to pick key industries that they believe there is value in, and they're going to create uh, an entire kind of omni-channel experience uh, within that.
0: I can, I can totally see that as a publisher, there's there's many things focused around the events industry that we could come up with a physical or virtual event for. And the only thing that's really stopping us at the moment is bandwidth, in, in all honesty, you know, it's, it's scale of team, the time, the ability to focus on something. And, and I think that's really important to say focus on something to do it well. Um, because it's easy to kind of throw a load of things out and see what sticks, but to really focus in on one thing and do it well. And I think some of the mid and, and larger organizations will definitely have that bandwidth in order to be able to go out there and also do that bit where they test all of those different event formats and, and solutions in to see which is you know, rated the highest in terms of satisfaction and ROI. I also wonder to your point though, whether we'll actually see certain event formats being used as top of funnel for those organisers to get the really valuable people in at the top and filter them down to those super high value types of events, maybe that's the meet the buyer, maybe it's the CEO round table with three sponsors at 100k k piece kind of scenario. I wonder if we'll actually see events, especially specifically online, being used as an internal lead generation tool or attendee generation tool that they'll be able to then divide those people out and decide, okay, we've got these really. 20 good CEOs here, let's launch an event or let's funnel them into this CEO event because we know that's super high value when it comes to revenue. Could you see, could you see that happening?
1: I think they're already seeing it. It's already happening. Like you're already seeing that that virtual events are a, uh, an expansion of, 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 of remit, right? Like previously an organizer might've had 20,000 people showing up in person, but mm-hmm. now they've reached 100,000 people within that market throughout the year. They've been able to define, define niches within that. Um, and that's, again, where greater insight and data and, and you know more, more of that is going to play in because you need to have great technology in order to identify what those niches are and then being able to actually market towards them specific offerings of individual webinar sessions and all those micro experiences. So an interesting example is we work with some very big events in the food and drink space. And one of the events that we work with, they see a lot of different regions attending. Um, And so what they saw is that people from a specific region, from from Argentina, I believe it was, were uh, uh, being targeted by a specific type of buyer. I think it was budget hotels from, from Germany or something. And so you saw that while both of those two groups were in general, in the overall event, unpopular, they were very interested in each other. So, what that means is that you can combine an event where just those two groups attend and as a result, um, actually bring a much more valuable experience to those two groups. And that's changing the entire dynamic because now you have two unpopular audiences that are actually very popular amongst each other. And as a result, you actually can create a much more valuable experience.
0: I think it's uh, I, think that what I'm taking away from this is the future of events is has been disrupted forever, but it's created more opportunity than ever for you as an organiser or as a community holder or publisher, whatever you want to call yourself, to be able to test things and see what works. And virtual seems to play very well into that in terms of low risk but high reward in terms of insight and data and engagement. You can really kind of take a product or an idea and test the water with it before you actually maybe commit to that really expensive, commercially dangerous physical event of bringing people together in a venue that costs 100, 200, half a million, whatever it is, depending on the scale that you're going after. Um, and I really like the idea that, as, as we had a comment there, that events lead gen that fits into a holistic marketing strategy, virtual again plays really well into that for a number of different types of organization. That kind of nicely also brings us on to your final point, which is the difference commercially between event organizers and corporates. So how do, you, how do you see that side of things? Is there this clear distinction between the two?
1: So, um, in speaking to a lot of people outside of the events industry, they're not as much uh, inside the event industry, but it's trying to explain people like, they're like, oh no, but they go after corporates. And you know we focus on commercial organizing. They're like, but what do you mean? Like, what is what, why is there a difference? But there is a very subtle difference. And I think the best way to look at it is for one group, for example, if HubSpot or or Salesforce does an event, the event is a way to market the product, which is their actual platform. So the event is not the product, but the event serves the purpose of marketing the actual product. And so it's a a marketing activity. It's not core to their business. It's a great marketing activity, but it's not core to their business. Whereas for commercial organizers, the event is the product. It is yep. core to their business. They cannot succeed without organizing that event and without bringing people together, because it is directly tied to their business, its objectives, and people buy into as an exhibitor, a visitor, with its with their time. They buy into the event, and so the event is the product. And I think that is a subtle but but very important differentiator between those two sides. Actually,
0: interesting. Man. I guess. I agree with some of that. I think the event organiser has to have a product that serves its customers in providing a platform and ROI. Yeah. Um, for the corporate side of things, I guess corporates also have a number of different ways outside of, let's say, to exhibitions to be able to engage with their customers. And sometimes their objectives is to make a direct sale with the with the product, but it's also sometimes to get... Brand advocacy get to people to experience, you know the, the whole, um, the whole. How do I feel about this brand rather than I directly want to buy that brand right there and then? So I think it's a really interesting interesting point. But underlining that, let's let's be honest. Like you said, engagement is key for both sides of things, isn't it? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like of course a corporate that does well, a corporate that does well is able to say, actually, I'm going to elevate the entire industry, and as a result my product therefore uh, uh, enhances so uh, uh, a savvy corporate will think much more like a commercial organizer not because they want to make money of it but money doesn't have to be you know revenue it could also be time right in the end you're asking for people's time
0: and Mm. that is the
1: most valuable resource we have so yeah
0: so to wrap up mate i want to get to some of the questions that we've not had chance to, so the audience questions here. Um, we've got somebody that we know, Matt Coyne, I'll bring him on. He said, with multiple pl- platform stacks, putting the power of data control in the hands of the participant would be more, even more important for the future. They'll need one place for it to s- see where their data goes. And I think that's back to your GDPR point of, you know, we were talking about different cookie consents and things like that people are getting a little bit more savvy with their data. And I think, you know, we have now the right through GDPR to kind of say, you know, give me all the data you've got on me. What's, what is it? Where is it being used? And, and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do you agree with Matt's point? Do you think that, you know, a single point or a platform or some system for attendees to be able to have the traceability of their data when it goes outside an event
1: is important? I think if you visit any news website, uh, it's going to take a long, very long time before an organizer will get anywhere close to the amount of tracking that happens there compared to an event. It's going to take a long time. And so if I look at the amount of visibility, clarity, and control uh, a news website uh, gives over your data, I think events in that sense uh, still have quite a bit to, to, you know, I think it will be a while before we have to actually have to worry about that. I do think one element that is very important is around contact detail sharing. Like I think hmm. that what we've noticed is a real change in behavior from organizers that in some cases I find concerning and and, and, and surprising where previously, you know, contact details could only be shared if people had like physically connected uh, and, and we were not able to kind of share contact details outside of that. Now it's like as soon as somebody has ticked on a session, boom, that is intense. So we can share contact details. I think that uh, uh, there is a, a need for transparency and clarity towards a visitor on like when their contact details are being shared and what actually comes into that. So we just recently launched a functionality on our platform around that. And we're gonna continue on innovating around that to make it very clear when actually people have consented to, to marketing activities because I think that's really what people are, are worried about is my data being used for marketing and am I sharing this for you know getting a newsletter the following week and having no idea how I subscribe to that so yeah I think I, clarity and transparency is very important
0: I think it's a, such an important point and you know this is not to defend anybody that's made these business decisions over the past 12 months because you know it, it's been a terrible time for everybody but i've I've also been aware and seen many a time decisions being made over an attendee data that you know has is commercially driven rather than with the best interest of their attendees at heart um almost to the effect of well better to get um told off for it than to not have an event or a business at all because we can't do it and and that's just you know the pressures of the dynamics changing your 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 business activity being ultimately taken away from you by the government or the current situation, you know, you can now no longer do what you do to drive revenue, is going to ultimately lead people to make bad decisions or not clear decisions. That's something we've always been really, really careful about. And and I've had these conversations internally of, you know, the same kind of thing, well, surely if they're doing this, this and this, then they want to kind of connect up with each other. But it's, it's not the case. It's, it's kind of like walking around an exhibition all right you you get a badge you have to register for the event and you get a badge that says your name and where you're from ultimately you have the choice of putting that in your bag and walking around the event anonymously you can interact with a session anonymously you shouldn't just and just because say, i speak to you on your stand does, doesn't mean that you should automatically get my contact details because i might walk away and think that guy's an idiot i don't want him to follow up with me right so we need to bear in mind that the the same principles still transfer online, right? But it's good to see that you're obviously recognising that and putting mechanisms in place to help that along with that transfer of information and it for it to be where it should be.
1: And yeah, like I was not by no means like discrediting like all the hard work that organiser done. I completely understand, like from the organizer perspective, you know, you you're in between a. Uh, a rock in a hard place, I believe they're saying, British. Mm. Um, but, but I do think that platforms have the responsibility for making that experience transparent, easy to understand and um, uh, yeah, uh, consistent. So I think that uh, it was more like an area where I felt that we should be doing much more because I felt that, hey, if we are actually going to be sharing content details here. Uh, we we need to make sure that we are helping our clients to do that effectively to provide this functionality to the exhibitors and the sponsors and visitors that they're happy with, while making sure that this all happens in a GDPR compliant way. But more important to that, you know, even if there was no GDPR, it's like what is good for the world is good for me, right? So it's like yeah. it needs to be, it needs to feel that if I was attending this event, I would be happy with my data being used in this way, and I think that's the most important thing. It's very simple. If I would be happy with it personally as an attendee then that, that's a good starting point most of the time
0: so we'll just see lots of competitions for bmws and ferraris and things like that take take place on an exhibitor level to get people to say here's my data right that's why we're going to see the whole like sports car in the in the airport um, kind of play take place over and over again at events maybe in the short term
1: I was at an event in the U.S. and uh, this is like one and a half years ago, and it was an exhibitor was handing out laminated one-dollar bills in exchange for people getting their, their badge scanned. So um, I mean, like you know, this the the, the playing the playing the system uh, had, has been happening for much longer than the virtual events have been around for.
0: Let's be honest. With you, that's that's a much more cost-effective way of the twenty-five, thirty-five dollars a lead on LinkedIn at the moment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I can't follow. But but again, it just shows that once you play into people's psychology and what they value, right? Like you know, it's it's a way that you can help lubricate the wheels and, and, and such. And in fact, it makes me wonder whether we'll see. Events or platforms being able to utilize systems like, for those that aren't out there, I use um, Brave browser. It's uh, on the Chrome backbone. It's a privacy uh, browser. So as to Tim's point, if you ever want to go and check out what a website or a news portal knows on you, just download that browser, visit it. It tells you everything that they're tracking about you, and it's it's eye opening. But one of the things that they do to, I guess reward the user for that exchange of data or exchange of information with their advertisers is they have like this, they call it a, a, a attention token. So that attention token essentially rewards you for clicking on adverts or for exchanges of information and things like that. So you actually are part of the business as the, as the individual. No, you're no longer the product, you're part of the ecosystem and revenue scheme as well. So then you can take those tokens and spend them elsewhere. So it'd be interesting for me to see if events go that way as well, or or allow exhibitors and sponsors to also kind of help lubricate the the wheels of lead capture and, uh, and attendee information and things like that, it's certainly something I guess over the last twelve months that I think everybody's trying to be, been trying to figure out because it's a di- it's a totally different play. Um, i I've, I've likened it to at an exhibition. You have an exhibition stand and you have staff on the stand, and generally the audience comes to you, right? Whereas at the moment the virtual world is kind of been flipped on its head where the exhibitor has to go hunting for uh, chasing the the attendee around the the actual exhibit hall to to try and get in contact with them because it's i guess it's that much easier for them to go right i'm just here for content i don't i don't want any of that um so it's an interesting time to kind of see how things will develop we're kind of running out of time so i don't i, I was going to throw a big big question that you're there but we might save that for for another episode Tim um, and I know you've got some stuff bubbling away in the background that will probably lead to another episode anyway but as a final thought what's been your individual biggest learning do you think over the last sort of 12 months since March of last year since everything got turned on its head I know that's a that that to be fair is a big question in itself but is there anything that you've taken away, whether it's individually, as a technology provider, from the events industry? What do you think?
1: Um, wow. And if
0: there's nothing, you can say nothing.
1: No, there is so much. <laughs> like It's more like, I think I have grown so much as a person in the last 12 months um, and learned so many things. Um, I think stay focused. I think that's the most important thing, actually i think that with so much noise around us constantly all the time um and all you know being locked at home it's 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 uh it's actually more easy to get distracted which is interesting mm. since you know you're actually just sitting at home but i think uh staying focused staying true to kind of like core core objectives i think that's the that's the most important thing and if i you know, i've learned one thing then i could have done i could have done that even better like i've I've done an okay job, but I could have done even better there. So that that's that that would be my key learning, to be honest.
0: I think that's a really interesting insight, mate. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's it's in human, it's in us as humans, it's inherent that we are distracted. We we easily we're like magpies, you know, there's something shiny over there, there's something shiny over there. There's the new thing of clubhouse, blah, blah, blah. And everybody wants to jump into that thing because it's the new thing, right? But certainly when it comes to you as a business, which I'm sure you had, is many, many customers saying you you must do this or we need this and probably hundreds, if not thousands, of different ways of interpreting which way to go. I guess as a, as a founder and as, as the head of an event technology company to keep on that path of what you saw as that vision was, that's what I'm taking away from that comment there of making sure that you do right by what you had set out planned and the rest of the team and the company, the shareholders and all that kind of stuff, right?
1: yeah i have one can i have to give one beautiful absolutely example mate. go
0: for it go for it
1: so so actually i was listening to um to a podcast by uh by elon musk and he 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 bought a, a bunch of houses on the top of a hill and he said that he was gonna you know build a big house there and then right before he started designing it he was like should I put my time into getting humanity to Mars or should I, you know, build myself a nice house? And I was like, well, probably humanity will want me to focus on, you know, getting them to Mars. And, and of course, like, uh, I am not dealing with anywhere near as big questions as, as, as he is, but um, I think it's a good example of like, it's most of the time, rather than chasing after that, that shiny object, it's most of the time better to just stay super diligent and focused on like the core things that you know are your number one, two, and three priorities rather than looking at your entire list and being like, oh, I should be doing all these things. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, that's kind of the, the learning that I took from it, at least.
0: I think that's an interesting one. I don't think what you explained there as well, but it's the same podcast I'm thinking about. I think he bought all of the houses around him, didn't yes. he, as well? So he yeah, didn't yeah, have yeah. anybody else to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Then he sold them all So because he realized that houses houses weren't a priority as well. So he was going through that systematically yeah. of going, what's a priority in my life? What can I get rid of? Wasn't there? And there was just invested like 1.5 billion in Bitcoin. So like everybody's distracted with that all of a sudden.
1: So yeah, so I took a shortcut and I just, you know, didn't buy a house in the first place. And, you know, so I ended up in the same place as Elon Musk. So I mean, uh,
0: you're waiting (laughs) for them to become available on Mars, (laughs) aren't you, mate? You'll be one of the first people to put a deposit down. I can see it. Tim, thank you very much for coming on today's podcast. Um, we could have done a lot, lot more than that. I'm sure because I think you brought some really interesting points and some really interesting ways of thinking and some vision there around, you know, some some interesting topics for us. I think as the whole industry, we need to be thinking about going into 2021 and 2022 and beyond. For those that want to kind of check out Grip, where's the best place for them to go, mate?
1: Website uh, grip.events. That's awesome. Very mate.
0: Thank you very much. So guys, that was Tim, the CEO of uh, GRIP. I think he had some amazing points there. If you liked um, today's episode, please share it. It will be on demand straight away after we uh, end the broadcast. So you'll be able to share from LinkedIn, uh, sorry, from YouTube to LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you want to kind of share that to. Subscribe to be notified of future episodes. There'll be 21 episodes in total for this series. That's what we've got planned. Um, send me your comments and feedback as well. You can at me at Punchtown Parry or drop me an email, adam at eventtechlive.com.
1: Thank you very much, and we'll see you in the next one.